Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hey, what's up, you guys? Jeff Cohn here with another episode of the Team Building Podcast, where we interview top team leaders, broker owners, and thought leaders from across the country. Today, we have Mr. Steve Murray with Real Trends with us, and he is a near and dear part of my world. I actually just talked to him off air about all of the awards we used to hang in our office that were all provided by the research and everything that Real Trends provided. So without further ado, Mr. Steve Murray, welcome to the call. Honor to be with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. And you're hailing from Castle Pine, Colorado, is what you said. Yep. How's your snow right now? The mountains have good snow. Fortunately, we don't have any down here in the Denver area. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> We've had snow, but it, the sun's been out. It melts. Sure. But it's cool. It's it's cold. It's wintry here. It's wintry. Well, and as we sit here and record, we are in December of 2022. And dependent upon certain guests that I bring on my show, I like to be specific about what time this recording is taking place. Because, of course, someone might come in and listen to something from three years ago. And we're going to have a conversation today that's specific to the market that we're in. So one of the things that Steve has always been known for is the top 100, top 500, top 5,000 uh, for teams and for brokerages. And it's a really simple application process that he could speak to if you're still doing that, Steve, if you're interested in getting your team on that list. When I ran Omaha's Elite Real Estate Group, we were in the top 100. And I thought that was really neat to be able to use that when we recruited agents and then also to let our consumers know, hey, we're one of the top 100 teams in the country. You want to speak to what that process looks like? Well, you know, I mean, the, we started it 15 years ago and, and we had been ranking brokerage companies based on transaction size and volume. Uh, since 1988, right after we founded Real Trends. Um, the key thing we did, there were no broker rankings when we started it uh, way back when. And the thing that uh, made us different, well, two things, is that we didn't care what your brand was. We didn't care what your business model was. And we were the, and we were the first guys to say, we don't care about that. We're going to rank all brokers. Um, second thing is we required verification from a third party of some kind. So the truth is we had actually, it was the folks at the Wall Street Journal who we had partnered with in promoting our broker rankings came to us 15, 16 years ago and said, gee, you ever think you could do that for agents and teams? Hmm. And we, we thought about it and kicked it around our shop and said, there's a way probably for us to do that. The big the big issue was how do you verify it? It's it's not hard to get people to probably send us data and say, yeah, I want to be featured. And we figured out how we figured out pretty well how to verify transactions and volume. Mm -hmm. That's never been a huge issue. Uh, and so we established minimum standards like we had done, minimum levels of business like we'd done with brokers. And we um we launched it about 15 years ago. In the first year, I think there were a total of 400 agents and teams who qualified, who sent us, shared their data with us. Last year, the number was just under 24,000. 
Holy cow. That's awesome. Yeah. How many and, teams, just out of curiosity, I don't know the answer and I'm excited because I bet you do, but how many people would you consider a team in the United States today? Well, you know, what I can say, I probably can't answer that directly, but, you know, you have to do at least 75 transactions or 30 million in volume, either or, in a calendar year to be ranked on our rankings as a team. Uh, I think last year, about half of that 24,000 were teams. Okay. And I know we had talked off air as well about yeah. a few years back when I had actually filed as a team. I remember, of course, I had to go in to see who had performed above us in units or volume. And a lot of them also were brokers. And I know there were a lot of teams out there that would be upset that they're competing against brokerages that were claiming that they were teams. Has that still been an issue with people? It, it, like it will me? always be. It will always be an issue. Um, um like I said, the issue is not how many transactions or how much volume. The first one is what well, is it an individual or is it a team? Yeah. And and we've gotten after years of struggling and working and redefining, I think we've got that pretty well down now. The key thing is the key thing was to get the national networks and the large brokers to agree to our definition. Yep. Right. Yep. So, you know, it's not them making the rules up. It's us. So if a team or an individual gets mad, they get mad at us. Yes, I like that. Yep. Which is fun. That makes sense. Uh, then the, then you got the issue of a team. Well, is it a team 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 or is it a team brokerage? Yep. That that we're, we're getting closer to figure out how to define the two. But it's um, it. And it's it's kind of hidden because what we do is we get financials from the largest teams. They have to submit them to us. And we look at that financial structure of that team or team brokerage. Mm -hmm. And if it if it financially performs like a team, then we leave them in the team category because because they're a lot different than a brokerage brokerage. You know, yeah, brokerage, you can tell based on financials what they are. We, we can tell what point. they really are. Because yeah. there are there are brokerages out there in defense of yeah. the brokerage that runs a team model. It's a team ridge is what a lot of right. people call them. You have a broker's right. license, but you're running a team. No yeah, different. I mean, when I was at Berkshire, I ran my team like a brokerage. I mean, you know, I mean you look at some of the biggest teams, uh, Mark Spain, uh, Place, Robert Slack, to mention a few. Yep. I mean, they're clearly team structure. Yeah. They generate 70, 80, 90% of the business of that team. Yeah. Uh, just the same as a five agent team does. Sure. They're just, they figured out a way to scale it. Yeah. So anyway, you know, it's, um, it's, it, it's, it, and, and as we, as we have worked on it, and of course that part of real trends, we sold, to HW Media, who publishes Housing Wire and now Real Trends, and they've got a whole team of people working on it. They still consult with Scott Wright, my partner and I, because we were in the middle of all that for sure. years. Sure. They still consult with us, but they have a really good team of people to know how to look at it. It's only when they get something that doesn't quite look right that they call mm -hmm. us and go, what do you think? Yep. Let's go. Because you know, we can we can look at something and go, that's ah, probably that doesn't either that does or doesn't pass muster. 
hundred percent. So let's go back to 1988. So my mother in 1987 got her real estate license and I was five years old. So when I started first grade, she got her license. And I remember riding the back of her car and her having those, I think they called them MLS books, but essentially it was just books with pictures of houses. And it was just the front of the house to imagine what you guys had to do from a data capture standpoint in 1988 to validate someone's sales and volume across a lot of different brokerage brands, both independent and franchises. That sounds like a complete nightmare. How did you do that? Well, you know, we, um, there were no broker rankings. What was going on back then? And I'd been in the business since 1977 and I ran a national network from 1979 till 1987 when I left that to start Real Trends. Every broker was making claims about who was number one. And they were using their own metrics to, to you know, close right. business, written business. We're the best quality. looking. We're the number one looking agents in the it, city. It was, <laughs> it was all over. So we simply said, hey, we think this would be useful. And, you know, we had a whopping thousand readers of real trends. But we had a lot of, I had built a lot of relationships. I knew pretty much who the leading brokers were. Mm-hmm. Of every kind. Um, I mean, the first year it was the Real Trends 25, right? Wow. And then the next year it was the 50. And then it went to the 100. And then it went to 250. I think it was actually for brokers, it was actually around 1994 or 1995 when we had enough brokers providing data to call it the Real Trends 500. Okay. Do you know if there's and, ever been any legal cases you've been involved in, Steve? where an agent was number one in a city and they marketed themselves as such. And then a competitor also marketed themselves as number one. And the number the team that actually had earned the right then sues the other team to say, hey, you can't say number one because you're not actually number one. We have been in the middle of probably a dozen times that kind of a conversation. And does the team that actually is number one ever succeed in getting the team that's not to remove the number one? Because what I've been told by legal is that you can say number one, but then you just have to say what it's for, but you don't have to advertise right. what it's for. If the only thing we can tell people is that they're using our brand name, Real Trends, and or our marketing partner, the Wall Street Journal, or Tom Ferry, who's also a marketing partner uh, in a part of those rankings, you use any of our names. It needs to be people, legitimate. We've yeah. well, we've had we've had people that had to take down billboards and stop ads and and remove print stuff. Sure, uh, probably half a dozen times. I was in Branson, Missouri, with my family. We travel there every year. It's about a five hour drive from Omaha, Nebraska, and a great yeah. place to take the kids. Yeah. And there was a trailer that our top realtor in the area would let people borrow to do their move. And it caught my attention because at the time we were the number one team in Nebraska and we had that status and claim to fame through you for several years. But this trailer said from the realtor, which I loved and it stuck with me, we're not number one, you are. That always kind of stuck with me. I kind of liked it. And I said to my wife at the time, I was like, if they actually were number one and have that quote, that's awesome. But if they're not the number one team in Branson and they're using that quote, meh, not as exact. Yeah, it's... um... It's, um, I think, you know, for brokers, uh, the broker rankings now, you know, um, 30 some odd years now, 34 years, uh, those have been, and now there's two other two other companies out there, publishers who also do rankings of brokerage companies. 
And that's fine. And it's good. Competition's always good. Who mm. can do it better? Who can do hey, it? Hey, I've never heard of them, Steve. Who's, no, yeah, none of us have ever heard of them. Don't worry about it. But agent rankings, um, so far, we're truly the only company that took the time to say, we're not going to do it unless we have a way to verify the information. Yeah. Yeah. As I said earlier, you know, it's not the numbers that has been the argument. It's whether it's an individual or team. Mm-hmm. And then now it's whether it's a team team or a team brokerage. And and listen, there's new business models evolving every day out there. Yeah. And we're trying to stay on top of them as we learn more about them. Sure. And is that a team or is that a brokerage? Or But you know what? It The good news is, is while I wouldn't say we have tamed the industry to live by our standards like we have in the brokerage rankings, mm-hmm. we're getting there with agencies. Yeah. Speak to this really quick. So I'm part of Keller Williams, of course, and I think they were one of the first traditional franchise models that had the word expansion, where essentially they would allow a team in Omaha to have a team in Long Beach, California, and they would give me credit for the team in California sales as an aggregate total overall for the the country. Will Real Trends honor that same uh, thought process or strategy? Oh, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. As long as you yourself own... 50% 50% or more of that team expansion, that mega expansion team location. Yeah. It all gets rolled up. Okay. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. I didn't know. Yep. So for anyone listening that hasn't done this, I think it was worth it. The goal of this was not a sales pitch. Steve did not ask me to share this with you guys, but we yep. used this as a team. I didn't even know at the time you could do an agent ranking. I wish I had done that previous because I was one of the top agents as well. But if someone listening wants to go in and see if they even would qualify as an agent or a team or a brokerage, what's that process look like? Does it cost money? And I know we're coming to yeah. the end of the year. What's I mean, the deadline the, for that? The, the simplest thing is we're launch, we launch the rankings around the first week of January, start collecting the data. Okay. Just go to realtrends.com, agent rankings. Okay. And there's That's no it. fancy spelling, just real trends. No, how you realtrends.com, agent rankings tab, and it'll walk you through it. There's a fee, um, an application fee. But, you know, you have to do for individual agent, it's 50 transactions or 20 million. Okay. For a team, it's, as I said earlier, a little bit more. And if you've done that much, go online because- What's the brokerage min? Pardon? What's the brokerage minimum? I don't Uh, think we talked about that. 500 closed sides, or I think it's 500 closed sides or 250 million. Okay. Sorry to put you on the spot. Just that was curious. Yeah, and it's again, realtrends.com, go to broker rankings and you okay. can do the brokerage there. But, you know, so it's it's a matter of trying to bring some organization to the claims of people mm-hmm. that people make. Nope, again, 15 years ago, it was Wild West. Sure. Just, just no, I like think it's it was, awesome. It was 30 years ago for brokers. Yep. But it's awesome work you guys are it, doing. I've never had a guest on the podcast uh, quite like you. And one of the things that's really special that I want to get into now, kind of changing gears for our listeners, is talking about exit. A lot of agents that get into the business, they get in the business just to have a side job, side hustle. Maybe they just retired as a fire 
firefighter or a teacher. And real estate's not really intended to be the career they want to be a build or a business they want to build where they will one day exit. But as agents have success and build teams and teams have success and maybe become brokerages, there start to be conversations around, well, what if I want to sell my team to another team in, in the city or to, the, to my broker? Or what if I want to sell my brokerage? And that was one of the things that stood out for me. And one of the podcasts I actually listened to you on a couple yep. of years ago, you talked about how to value a team, how to value a brokerage. And I think at the time you actually spoke to the three types of teams. And I actually have used that a lot. If I'm correct, correct me, I could be wrong. But I think at the time you were talking about how there's a team where it's uh, a team leader that's the rainmaker that does 80% of the deals, a team that's a community team where you just take a few rainmakers together and sh- offset your costs. And then right. a true team where you have a CEO that's not actually in production or is, has a minimal right. production that grows yeah. something where they're not necessary. And of course, that's going to be the most valuable. Yeah, I mean, so... And, and building on top of that, what we have said and, and continued and, and our own experience in selling teams, helping to try to sell teams, and it's very simply this, um, the less valuable the owner of the team is to the team, the more value the team will have, mm-hmm. which is counterintuitive. Um, I mean, the marketability of a team among other things that can be related to is how much of the business is the team owner's sphere of influence, personal referrals, repeat. If that's a very high number, not much value, truly, because you can get value, but you're going to need to be around and hand off. And it's going to take four, five, six, eight years to get any real value out because it's based on the conversion of a personal database. A second thing that affects valuation is, okay, well, let's suppose that it's only 30% sphere of influence, but let's suppose that the team leader is doing 70% of the transactions. Same problem. How do we know we can get somebody as good as that leader at converting opportunities to close sales, period? The key thing for if somebody has a team is to understand that the only way you build any real equity value is if you are, A, not the source of the business personally, and number two, you're not doing it personally. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. That's hard. It's hard to build a team like that. 100%. So Gary Keller wrote a book in 05. I don't know if you've read it, called the MREA, um, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. And the idea behind the book was you could become a millionaire, netting a million a year, working less than five hours a week, or uh, yeah, five hours a week on your business. How many teams have you valued where the CEO, Rainmaker, if you will, that wants to sell, nets a million and works less than five hours a week on their business? I haven't met one yet. This is the same thing I tell people. I've met a few, but not yeah. many. It's, I haven't, it's, I haven't it's a white unicorn. Okay. And I love your honesty because it's really, really challenging to step away and have a business continue without you being there. Yeah. I mean, I, and we've done work with some of the biggest teams in the country. I mean, people doing 3 million, 5 million, 8 million, 12 million, 15 million gross commission income. Mm-hmm. And you start talking to them and you, re- and you ask the same question three or four different times. <laughs> right? And you ultimately get to the fact that, yeah, yeah, well, you know, you know, I don't handle all the listings, just the big ones. Well, how many is that? Well, you know, so it's, it's you know, it's this number. Well, I mean, like that's twenty percent 
of all the big, all the listings in the company. Oh, and by the way, it's 40% of the volume that you, you're personally handling. Yep. And, and take those out and there's no profitability. <laughs> well, and some of these are profitable, but what we've told, and here's something else that we, we try to explain to people. When you own a business, you get three things. I mean, if you own a share in Wells Fargo, you get the same thing, right? An owner of a business, three things. You get you get the opportunity, the opportunity to see if your equity investment in that business grows over time. So the equity value, you, that's, you get the opportunity. Number two, you get the opportunity for dividends or profit sharing or income from owning shares in Wells Fargo. They pay a dividend. Buy a share of Remax today, you get a yield dividend yield of four and a half percent. That's not bad, you know. So I get income. I get the chance that Remax's shares go up in value. And the last thing I get is voting. That's it. Equity, dividends, voting. Those are what you get when you own shares in a company of, of whatever kind you own. Now, what we tell a lot of teams is the primary outcome of having a good team is not equity, and we're assuming you control it. So you already got voting control. Equity is the lesser. What they do, what we've seen, a lot of them are successful at generating a lot of income, a lot of cash flow. So a lot of our advice to a lot of teams has been, look, if we went to sell it, this is what we could get for you. This is how much cash you would get up front. This is how long it would take for you to get the rest of it. We advise, when they hear that, a lot of teams go, well, why would I sell this thing? And yeah. we say, you shouldn't. <laughs> Can well, we, for fun, this puts you on the spot. Okay, finish your sentence, yeah. and then I have a little. So, so what we tell them is, look, your team is generating, pick a number, 400000 800000 a million, million to a year pre-tax. The key thing is to take those cash flows and invest them outside of the team. Mm-hmm. Amen, brother. Reach into the choir. Silver, in real estate, houses. Yeah. So well, let's yeah. use let's use my team, and I'm putting myself on the spot, and I have no idea okay. where this conversation is going to go. But right. in 2019, I had the number one team at Berkshire Hathaway in unit sales. We were doing about 700 sales a year. I think we did 132 million in volume, 3.2 million GCI, and I was netting around 600 thousand. Now that doesn't count the money I was making off ancillary businesses and all the side hustle stuff. Right. But let's take that out of the equation. It'd be the value probably would be around two times that cash flow. Okay, so that's a two x multiplier of net Correct. or EBITDA yep. earnings before interest taxes Correct. and amortization. Correct. Yeah, about two times of which you get twenty five to thirty percent in cash, and the rest over four to five years based on the actual closings and business generated over that three to five years. So if someone were to buy from me, would I probably need, be required to stay in in some capacity for, well, for four to five years? They, they can't require you because we, right. okay. we did away with indentured servitude a long time ago, but they could tie you being there to the earnout. Yeah. And it could be the performance of the those three to five years would be, harmed if you're not around mm -hmm. to refer people. Uh, you know, it's interesting. One of the best examples, the differences is it's been now, I don't know, some years ago, I had um, 
a husband and wife owned a really good team in the Western U.S. And we looked, we did evaluation, looked the whole thing over. And he said, we, re- we have really good people. We'd like to be able to sell it to them. But there's, there's a concern about what the value is if we're not here. So interesting enough, kiddingly, he said, how do we fix that? I said, you think these people are really capable? He said, yeah. I said, okay. So what you need, I kiddingly said, what you need to do is like disappear for six months and let them see for themselves that this team still works, you know, still work the systems Mm -hmm. and the people. Great conversation. Didn't hear anything for like a year. And a year later, he calls me. He said, you were right. I said, what do you mean I was right? He said, well, we actually took off for like almost a year. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we literally <laughs> left town That's and awesome. travel all over the place. And we check in once a week or once every two weeks. And everything was running well. And when we came back, it was clear to them that while we might be able to grow it faster or build it bigger, that the base business it's good. Does not require us to be here. And so we were able to execute the sale in a very a good price and better terms that they would have gotten otherwise. Oh wow. That's awesome. Better That's terms. a great story. So, so you've seen a lot of these. Do you yeah. feel like so I know there's the strategy of they pay the 30 to 35% up front and then you get a certain amount after four to five years after based right. on if it grows, doesn't grow, or gets smaller. Right. What about doing a longer play where it's like a 10 or 15 year play and you just keep a certain percentage of the net revenue every year over 10 years or something. And like we that. have done, we have done some that were eight to 10 years long. I haven't done you one yet longer than that. Although I do, I do. Yeah, I guess I do have one right now that's coming up on eight or 10 years. Okay. I mean, look, I mean, the, the one of the best ones that um, I can think of, it was, this actually was a, a top individual agent transferred his book of business to his understudy, if you will, who was also pretty good. And he spent a year to 18 months, introduced him to his top 50 clients in person, turned over the database. They did joint marketing to 250, 300 other clients. And there was no upfront money to the agent departing. Mm -hmm. But it was a high referral fee, almost like co-listing. Yep. Oh, agents um, for the first 18 months on the top 50. Any deals they did and or any deals those top 50 referred to this guy. Ooh, I like that. He paid one higher fee if it was them personally. It was a lower fee if they were less. On the other, the rest of the database, it was that lower referral fee and I'm pretty sure it was for 10 years. So that's what I was thinking. I think that's coming up on 10 years. I love that kind of a deal. But but you know what? Um, I see the guy um, now and then, because this happened here in Colorado, and I see the understudy, and he's handled, I don't know. Hundreds. Probably three transactions with just us, just my wife and I. Oh, my I'm gosh. Selling, just in that period of time. And because he's also really good, by the way, mm-hmm. he's also really good. And um, but ta- I'm still in touch with the the seller, if you will, who uh, doesn't live here anymore. 
moved elsewhere. Um, and seems to me I heard from him uh, the, the the understudy. I saw him not too long ago, and he I said, "How's that work?" And he said, "Yeah, you know, I sometimes I think about paying these referral fees." But he said, on the other hand, I doubled my business, over doubled my business. Of course. And, and it keeps growing. Of course. And the other guy get, is getting checks of, you know, fifty to $90,000 a year. It yep. has been for like seven, eight years now. Yep. It's his database. I love it. I think that's yeah, a great and, model. And he's simply, the seller simply, when I interview, I actually interviewed him about it. He said, the fact is you have to put greed aside and be there. You know, because look, four or five years down the road, they're still calling me. Mm -hmm. And and I just say, hey, this is the guy, you know, and I'm I'm kind of in the background, but I'm available if if it needs to happen that way. So everybody won in that deal. Yeah, that's awesome. Everybody won. Yeah, I like that. So, but some people go, you know, and I've had a lot of teams go, so I really should focus on taking my cash and investing it elsewhere. Uh, I mean, the excess cash as opposed to what I need to invest to grow my team or my practice. I said, yeah, you should, because it's very difficult and you have to be very patient and you have to understand it's going to be a payout over time and you're going to have to be kind of in the neighborhood, so to speak. But, you know, we did. We sold we sold a husband wife team last year and theirs was an eight year deal. Mm-hmm. It was so only- you spoke to. You spoke a lot on teams. What and you said it was a two yeah. X multiplier. What do you yeah. typically see if it's a brokerage? You know, depending on the size and the market they're in, uh, three to five. And now with the market changing, because of course there's a shift every ten to twelve. Um, you know, it's, right now we're in a softening market. Does the multiplier change in a shifting it, market? It it dropped back in the summertime. And did the mar- did the multiplier change? That's what I mean. The multiple. Okay. Well, and it changed with interest rates going up. I think that's well, where I, I mean, saw the biggest change. The, the, you know, the unit sales are going down, margins are decreasing, and the purchasers go, we don't know where the floor is. Exactly. I don't want to buy, I don't want to pay somebody for a brokerage or a team for that matter based on, you know, 21 results. Yep. Because it's clear 22 is not going to be that yep. good. And 23 is not going to be that good. And frankly, yep. unlikely that 24 will be that good. Yep. So the buyers are now on the sidelines, although they're start, we're hearing, we're hearing from them that, you know, come the first quarter, they'll be back looking mm-hmm. because whether it's teams or brokerages, the need to find really good talent agents mm-hmm. who are talented or teams, it, it, it it, it's it's a it's a it's a difficult proposition to build your your team or your brokerage one agent at a time. So people sure. look to acquire teams or acquire brokerages, and of course the fun part now is that we hear from a lot of teams you know who may want to get out, and they go, I said, well, why do you want to get out? This is good business. Oh, it's just so difficult recruiting and developing young agents because as soon as they get young and they're making two or three hundred thousand with you. Now they want an 80-20 split, even Amen. though you're providing them everything. Let's try 100% and I split. I always laugh and go, welcome to broker world. So That's let's right. talk about baked in companies. So I have I own my own title company. Um, yep. We do 30% of the business came from my team for several years. And about yep. 70% came from outside of my team. Yeah. Um, I own my own mortgage company. That's going to be a little bit more rare for agents or teams. And then I own my own insurance company. 
And we started all of these from scratch. So if I were to go sell a team and or a brokerage, and then I had those businesses, will they treat those businesses completely separate, like a separate sale? Or can you bake no. that all together and do you get a better no, multiplier? Generally, they'll buy them all. And do you get a better multiplier by having all those together? No, okay. not really. But but because it's based on the profit and the business sure. market conditions. But, I mean, given that you usually haven't had the kind of investment requirement in the mortgage title, escrow, mm-hmm. property casualty. They take a while to grow, mm-hmm. but you're not duplicating your cost as we call it the cost of customer acquisition because mm-hmm. the brokerage is your customer acquisition vehicle. So, But the good news is most purchasers want to buy the whole package. Okay. And they'll pay multiples roughly the same as the brokerage, generally. Okay. And then, of yep. course, they're looking not only at the net, they want to know conversion. Someone that buys a business, just out of curiosity, when you're hearing them on the sideline talking about why they want to buy it, do they usually want to come in and do some type of a value add? Meaning they think they have some special sauce they can sprinkle on the brokerage or the title company, mortgage company, insurance company that's going to have better results than the person that's operating today. It, it, that's a, it's a the answer is sometimes right yeah. some if it's an in market deal like another brokerage in a, in a market buying another brokerage or two teams coming together sometimes there are synergies and they think that we can we can put these together and two plus two equals five right mm-hmm. uh, other times uh, it's almost like the mega expansion teams right. You're go, you, you're in Omaha. I want to open in Denver. It's a bigger market. The prices are better. I think I can go in there. I can compete. I can do lead gen. We did a deal like that with, um, you know, Sarah, the Keller Williams Sarah from Washington, D.C. area. Reynolds? Yes, yeah, Sarah Reynolds. Yeah, she she came awesome. wanted to expand her platform. And she came yep. in, did a, did a merger joint venture with Gay Ribble out here, another really good team. And the goal was they would each bring strengths to that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah would be lead gen, mm-hmm. and Gay would be finding, hiring, and developing the right agents and market knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I, last I checked, it's working really well. She's doing awesome, from what I've yeah, seen. Yeah, they're doing fine. That's awesome. It's it's all every deal is a little bit different, sure. and then you get the big guys. Well, they're just looking to expand their footprint, so. You know, I mean, Berkshire Hathaway, your your hometown, right? They came in and first they bought 20, yep. 23 years ago, they bought CBS. Yep. And then they bought Home and then they bought Ambassador. Yep. Right. So they, I don't know what the, their market share has got to be, what, 30, 40%? Yeah. Home they're in the 40s, probably. I think. Yeah. yeah. So they just wanted to build a fortress a business in Omaha. Mm-hmm. And, and so every act, Every investor or a, 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 a acquirer has different motives of why they will do what they do. Mm-hmm. I love it. See, this yeah. has been such a fun interview. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, as far as our audience goes, you guys, pay your respects to the time Steve was able to share with us. Go out to the podcast app you use and give Steve's episode a five-star review. Give him a shout out. This information is expensive if you were to call him one-on-one. I'm sure more than a dollar an hour. 
And right. this was all free to us today. So this was this was awesome for me personally. And I know it's applicable to our audience members. If someone did need additional help and is considering having a sale or a purchase, is that something that your company would be able to help them with? And if it is, how would they get in contact with you? Well, yeah, we do it all the time. And by the way, uh, unlike what you just said, the first call is always free. Oh, wow. I was wrong. Right. Zero. How about right. Zero. First call. Uh, the best way to reach out is email. Well, I mean, smurray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, at realtrends.com. That'll, that'll get me. All right. And also tell Steve when you reach out to him that you heard about him on the Team Building Podcast. Yep. Because I promised him at least one person might reach out. So be <laughs> sure to give us some credit. And, as and well. I should add the first call is knowing uh, not only free, but it's confidential. Ooh, I like that. And, awesome. and if there's something we believe in, it's the sanctity of that agreement that whether it's the first call or you retain us or you don't, the fact of the call is confidential. I like that. Steve, Always. you're, you're yeah. awesome. I appreciate what you guys have Thanks. done for the industry. It's needed and it's still needed and it's relevant. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that will reach out in time. So thank you so much for coming on as a guest for us. And if there's anything that Elite Real Estate Systems or the Team Building Podcast can do to help support you and your network, please let us know. It's been an honor. Merry Christmas to everyone. Have a good one. Thank you. 